Good morning. Wow, it's good to be with you this morning. It's been good to be with each other this morning, hasn't it? Man, God's been so good to us. I assume that uh, we just need to go ahead and speak to it, right? We needed this morning as a result of yesterday, right? We needed it. Rough loss yesterday. Tough. But hey, with Jesus, we're going to win. I'm telling you. In the end, we're going to win. We're so glad to see each and every one of you uh, here this morning. I want to pray. Father, we bow before you. We thank you for allowing us to be here together to worship you. We thank you that we get to see each other, but more importantly, we thank you, thank you that together we get to worship you and we get to glorify your name. I pray that you'd move, work, and be ahead and be above anyone and everyone else here today. May we see you. May we see your glory. May we experience your presence as I believe we already have through music. And as we open your word, may you move mightily. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. What if I told you that a couple of years ago while I was on vacation with my wife, uh, we had an epic moment. And it ended with blood on the knee of my white pants and another lady's toenail being broken. Pretty epic story, right? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Back up and tell us what happened, correct? Isn't that the way? We need context, right? If we're going to find out the end, we kind of got to figure out what leads up to it. So there we were. And we'll back up to the last night of our vacation um, with my wife, and we're with uh, friends of hers through her business, and uh, it's the last night, and we had a party together, and we had good food, and it was good friends, and it was good times, and after dinner, the dance floor opened up, and oh, I I have moves. (laughs) Yes, I do. Uh, A couple of those moves, one would be the sprinkler. And don't forget the lawnmower. So y'all can tell this is an epic moment waiting to happen, right? Well, then it happened. Footloose came on. And if footloose at least doesn't make you tap your foot, I don't know. Man, footloose came on. So we were there, and uh, I get clearance from my buddy Joe. I get clearance that things are open and clear for takeoff. And so I, I run out in a sprint, and I go into a knee slide that won't stop. Both knees just cross the dance floor. And out of the corner of my eye, as I'm going by, there's tables next to the dance floor. I see someone coming and I realize we are going to collide, and there's nothing I can do about it. I was in this slide that I could not stop. <clears throat> well, out from these tables, she couldn't see me, and I could barely see her. This lady named Beth Ann, a friend of ours, she's kind of coming out, you know, and she's kind of already doing her thing, you know. And as she comes out and does this, her foot, like, I mean, like, hammers my knee. She falls, and somehow I catch her, and... <laughs> We end up there, 
Terry rushes over, and we're all laughing, and I'm like, are you okay? And she's like, yeah. And she's like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah. And we're all just laughing and having a good time. And then I'm like, and I look down, and there's blood all over my knee. And I'm like, and I figure out really quick, I'm not bleeding. She was the one doing the bleeding. Her toe had caught my knee just right. Now, that's kind of gross. Broke her toenail in half. Well, she doesn't even know what's happened at this point because she's still kind of laughing. You know, that moment when you see it's when you realize it, right? And so I'm looking at her toe, and I'm looking at my knee, and I'm looking at Joe, and I'm like, everybody, Joe gave me clearance. And then, and then I look at Beth Ann, and I'm like, hey, Beth Ann, have you, have you looked at your toe? And she's like, no. And she looks down, and you know that moment of, oh, and I don't know what's going to happen. Anyway, uh, she's just a good-natured lady. She's a lot of fun. Anyway, and so we, we bandage it up. Terry, go get her a Band-Aid. And uh, I ask her to forgive me. She says she forgives me. And we laugh and we carry on. So for the rest of our lives, so there's approximately 75 people that were at that party. When the song Footloose comes on, that's where our mind goes now. To that epic moment in which this goofball did a knee slide and crashed into Beth Ann. I read a book a few years ago. Uh, If you haven't read it, I'd highly recommend it. It's called Unbroken. Incredible story. Um, ultimately a story of redemption. But I kept turning the pages and I kept waiting for the rescue and it just, it wasn't coming. I kept waiting for things to get better and it, it, it got worse. I kept waiting for relief and it just never arrived. Long, long, long period of life in which a man and others suffered and they were waiting, waiting to be redeemed, waiting to be rescued. And then finally, after years and years and years, they experienced the rescue they've been longing for. Today, we're going to embark on a story from the Bible in the book of Exodus. And I think just like with any other story, we got to back up and make sure we know how we got to where we are so that we can realize the bigness and the epicness of what we are reading And I know you're probably familiar with the book of Exodus. Some of you may know it better than I I do. I mean, we're talking about the Ten Commandments, and we're talking about Red Sea, and of course, Charlton Heston, right? I mean, Exodus. Well, as we look into the story, let's get a little background so that when we talk about the blood, and yeah, there's some weird stories about blood in the book of Exodus, we kind of understood how we got there, and we understand the, the, the significance of them. So I want us to think back a little bit, and I want to take you back a little bit if you've never gone down this path before. Before we get to Exodus, which is the second book in the Bible, I want us to go back to the first book in the Bible that gives us the beginning and just very quickly just recap how we got to where we are in the book of Exodus. You've got two people in the very beginning. Their names are Adam and Eve. God created Adam and God created Eve. The uncreated created We have God who created everything that we have, and he decided to um, create the pinnacle of his creation in humans, and he creates Adam and Eve. They got to hang out with Jesus every day, and they got to walk with him, and they got to talk with him. And he gave them only one rule, and they broke the one rule. Now, before you go nuts on Adam and Eve for breaking the one rule, I've tried it with my kids. I've tried just doing the one rule thing. Are you with me? Like, there's only one rule. 
and it seems like almost every time they break it. Well, anyway, Adam and Eve, they broke the one rule, and it put us into this mess that we're in today, known as a sinful, broken world. And so God dealt with Adam and Eve. Out of Adam and Eve, you get two boys. Their names are Cain and Abel. And Cain and Abel did not get along. In particular, Cain didn't get along with Abel because Abel decided to do what God said and experience the the approval of God. Cain decided to do it his own way and experience the disapproval of God. He was so mad at that that he took his anger out on his brother and he killed his brother. So we've gone from walking and talking with God every day to brothers killing one another. From there, we pick up a little later in the story, and we see a man named Abraham in the book of Genesis. Abraham's an incredible story about a man who experienced all kinds of success, all kinds of failure, and ultimately experienced grace and did it through faith. And then we come to another character in the story, the story of mankind, the story of God, and that person is Joseph. Joseph had a bunch of brothers, and the brothers didn't like him because he was favored by his dad, and that's a whole other dynamic to the story, but ultimately they, they hated him so bad that they decided to throw him in a pit, tell their dad that he died. Well, Joseph didn't die. They sold him into slavery. That slavery that they sold him into took him to a country, and that country is Egypt. And after a long, long series of experiencing success and also experiencing suffering, Joseph has now found himself in a place of leadership in the country of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. God has blessed him and brought him to this place. And so God, all throughout Genesis, is dealing with individuals. He's dealing with Adam and Eve. He's dealing with Cain and Abel. Um, He's dealing with um, Abraham, and he's dealing with Joseph. And now as we enter into the book of Exodus, it's much less about dealing with individuals, and it's now God dealing with his people, dealing with large groups of people, in particular his people. And the reason why these guys that we just talked about and the people that we're going to talk about today are God's people is because they were, was not because they were special or good. It's because God's people were chosen by him because he is good. God picked them. God picked his people. Listen to me. God picked his people so that more people could be his people. I'm going to say that again. God picked his people so that more people through his people could become his people. It's the reason why you and I exist, church. God picked me and God picked you so that he could pick other people. God wants to use me, one of his people, to help other people become his people. It's why we do what we do. It's why God does what he does. Well, now it's a huge group. And let's begin reading in Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1. Beginning in verse number 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel, that is Jacob, who moved to Egypt with their father, each with his own family. Now, these are the guys... These are the very guys that took their brother Joseph, threw him in a pit, and told him that dad was dead. Here they are. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. In all, Jacob had 70 descendants in Egypt. 70. 
including Joseph, who was already there. How did he already get there? They told him that he died, and he sold him into slavery. So you've got to understand that Joseph extended some serious grace and forgiveness to his brothers and welcomed them. Verse 6, in time, Joseph and all of his brothers died, ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly they became extremely powerful and filled the land. I think they had a few tracks of Marvin Gaye even back then. Verse number 8. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, his people, the people of Egypt, not the people of Israel, not the people of Joseph, but the people of Egypt. He said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. So, the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think about slavery, but nothing good comes to my mind when I think about slavery. In any context, in any way, do I think of any positive things when I think about slavery. And here they are, people just like you and I, because of the decision of one king who doesn't like the number of people that are there decides we'll squash them through slavery. So they made them their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build their cities of Pithom and Ramesses as supply centers for the king. So when you go now and you visit the country of Egypt and you see those pyramids that have been there for years and for years and for years, these people built them. Verse 12. But the, more the, but the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more the alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. So this is where the people of God find themselves. They find themselves being great in number, but great in suffering. And when the suffering doesn't seem bad enough to the king, Pharaoh, he makes it worse. And he continues to try to squash them and rule them by causing them to suffer. Well, the story goes on that they continue to multiply, that babies just keep popping out everywhere. They keep growing in number, and so the Pharaoh decides, you know what, the suffering's not getting it done. Let's, let's go further than that. Let's, let's start controlling this population. Now, when I say animal control, we probably think, okay, we understand that. We're not talking about animal control here. We're talking about people control here. We're talking about, hey, not only can we not want you to have any more babies, but when you do have babies and they're boys, we're going to take them from you and we're going to kill them. That's the suffering that was going on in the house of Israel at the time. I have children. Three of my children are boys. 
I cannot even imagine the anguish, the pain, and the suffering, not merely from the slavery as horrible and as wretched as that was, but to have your very own children killed in front of you. And so it begs this question, does God care about his people? I mean, through an orchestration of events, God got them there to spare them from starving to death. That's how they got there. But now they are being oppressed and oppressed and oppressed. The suffering is not lightning. It is getting harder and harder and harder. And when they don't think the suffering is keeping them down enough, they choose to wipe out all of their babies. They decide to kill them. Does God care about their people? They're hurting. Joseph is forgotten. They're they're enslaved. The conditions are worsened, and it continues to get worse, and it continues to get worse. Does God care about his people? We're going to look to Exodus chapter 3, verse number 7, a little bit later in the story, because I want you to see this now. I don't know how long the people of God had to wait to hear this, longer than they wanted to. We get the privilege and the opportunity of just hopping right over here to Exodus chapter 3 and verse 7 and see what God told his people. It says, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress. Have you ever been in pain? You wondered if anybody cared or not? Sure. Have you ever been suffering and you wondered if anybody understood it all or not? Sure. And these guys were suffering probably on another level than I know I have, probably on another level than you have. And God says, I've heard, I've seen, I've noticed. I've heard their cries and distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. I am aware of their suffering. And so in this moment, God says, I care. God says, I see you. God says, I hear you. God says, I feel what you're feeling. And so I don't know about you, but when someone recognizes my pain and recognizes my suffering, I would really like for them not only to recognize it, but if they have the ability to do something about it, I'd like for them to do something about it. How about you? Like, if you can fix it, then fix it. And I'm at a place where I believe that God can do anything, and so they've got to be wondering, too, like, God, we believe that you can do anything. You hear us, you see us. Would you please do something about this right now? Would you fix it? Would you make it better? Would you relieve us? Would you rescue us? Would you redeem us from everything that's going on? Well, God had a plan. But sometimes God's plan doesn't look like my plan. And sometimes God's plan doesn't look like your plan. And God's plan probably definitely didn't look like their plan. Look at Exodus chapter 2 and verse number 1. Exodus chapter 2 and verse number 1. Exodus 2 happens in the midst of all of the genocide that's taking place and killing the babies. And it says, at about this time, a man and woman from the tribe of Levi got married. Now, we celebrate when we get married, right? Woo! I mean, we do, and we should. Marriage is a beautiful thing. Got a baby on the way, we celebrate it. Some of you got babies on the way. About half of you out there got babies on the way, it seems like. Literally 15 babies in three months, people. It's crazy around here. We celebrate it. But can you imagine being slaves, getting married, no party? Uh, You just know that we we said I do, but tomorrow morning, 
before the sun comes up, you're, you're back to being a slave. It's just what you're going to do. And you know that if and when you have a child, ultimately that child is going to be killed by the rulers that be. Verse 1. So they got married. Verse 2. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby. Now what made him special? She was, he was hers. I mean, why is your kid special? Because they belong to you, right? What makes me special? Because I belong to my mama. What makes you special? Because you belong to your mama, right? Why did she think this baby was special? Because she, this baby belonged to her. But she saw that he was special and kept him hidden for three months. Can you imagine trying to hide a baby for three months? But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. Mamas, are you picturing this for just a moment? You're going to put your baby in a homemade little bitty float, and you're going to push it out into the water and just hope, hope, hope against hope that something good is going to happen. You've got the possibility of drowning. You've definitely got the possibility of a crocodile coming along and, and just devouring this little one. But she takes the risk. Verse 4. The baby's sister then stood at a distance watching to see what would happen to him. Soon, Pharaoh, remember the, the ruler, this ruthless His daughter came down to bathe in the river and her attendants walked along the riverbank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, Hebrew Israelites, those of Joseph, same group of people, God's people. Verse 7, then the baby's sister approached the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you, she asked. Yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called who? The baby's mother. Verse 9, take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother. I will pay you for your help. Do you see what just happened there? So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. Later, when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moses, for she explained... I lifted him out of the water. God's plan. Probably doesn't look like my plan. Probably doesn't look like your plan. Probably doesn't look like their plan, but God's plan. But now they wait. And they wait. And they wait. The next time we really see Moses back in the story and things happening is when he's 40. 40 years go by. 40 more years go by. 40 long, painful years of suffering. Being a slave today, being a slave tomorrow, and being a slave the next day. And when the Pharaoh doesn't think your slavery is punishment enough, he adds to your workload. Continues to kill the boys that are born among you. 
And they're longing for redemption. They're longing to be rescued. They're longing to be wanted, to be valued, to be brought out of what they are in. You see, they were just like we are. They had their own idea and vision and idea and dreams of what redemption and rescue would look like. And they longed for it. And something about it kept them going. But I believe they, like us, we kind of have this idea of redemption kind of confused. And again, redemption does mean to rescue. It does mean to be valued. It does mean to be bought out and brought out. All of those things are true. But if we begin to think that redemption is equal to or like comfort, we are totally, totally, totally going to not appreciate redemption when it comes. Because I'm here to tell you, redemption and comfort are not equal and the same. And some of you right now, just like them, you're experiencing your suffering. Whatever it is, it's causing you pain in your soul or in your life. And you are wanting out. And your idea of redemption is comfort. And if your idea of redemption is comfort, you're going to go after. You are going to ingest. You are going to inject. You are going to place yourself in the middle of whatever you think can bring you comfort the quickest. And comfort is not what you and I desperately need. What you and I desperately need is redemption. We need to be brought out. We need to be bought out. We need to be brought out of slavery. And if we think that comfort equals redemption or redemption equals comfort, again, we're going to find ourselves gorging ourselves, worshiping, believing in, trusting in the very thing that actually puts us in the slavery that will destroy us. If our circumstances don't match our expectations, I'm going to repeat that. If our circumstances don't match our expectations, our faith will be strained. If your life doesn't look like you want it to look like right now, and it's not going the way you thought it would go, there's a very good chance that you're struggling with faith right now because you thought God would have made it go this way, and it actually went that way. And you're wondering if he's real. You're wondering if he cares. You're wondering if he can straighten it out. You're wondering if he's going to bring you out. You're wondering if you've got to keep going down this road. Can you imagine being a slave year after year after year after year after year? At some point, you finally hear that God sees and God cares and God knows, but still you're waiting. And the slavery continues. And it continues. Our idea, our picture, if you will, of redemption and relief should look like what the redemption of God is actually offering. Now again, God had a plan with his people, and as we continue to go throughout this story, we're going to see him work that plan out. We're also going to see people his people not cooperate with his plan. And that's where some of us are at right now. We've experienced the redemption of God. We're believers. We're saved. We've allowed Jesus to forgive us of our sin. But we've decided we don't need him anymore. And we're doing things our own way right now. And we need redemption today. Because we have put ourselves back into a position of slavery. Because we've said, you know what, God? I don't think your plan is good enough for me. I don't think that you've got it all figured out. I think I've got a better way right now. And that's where a lot of people are right now who are believers. 
People who come to church on Sunday, they're not doing what God wants them to do with their life. They've got their own plan, and that's what happens with the people of God here in the Exodus. They decide they got a better way. And so it comes down to this. Instead of saying to God, save me like this, and when I say save me like this, I'm saying, God, here's the way I see it. Here's the way I think it ought to happen. Here's what I think you ought to do. Here's when you ought to do it. Here's how you ought to do it. Here's who you ought to do it through. Here's the exact dollar sign I want to have on the end of it, right? I mean, I've got all these things planned out for how I want God to rescue me. Instead of saying, save me like this, I believe that we should say something more like, I know you are good. Save me like you want to. God, I... I don't like the way things are, but I trust that even in the midst of all the chaos and the suffering that I'm in right now, you've got a better plan, and I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to trust you to rescue me the way that you see fit. Now, that's a hard saying for us to really embrace and to accept, but how hard is it when we compare to these people, the people of Israel that have been suffering slavery For years upon years upon years upon years. I think that down deep inside of every human being, there comes a point in life. Sometimes it happens earlier. Sometimes it happens later. We do different things with it when it happens. But I believe that every human being at some point in life realizes, understands, gets, acknowledges that they need redemption. Now, again, for some that may come at an early age or uh, this age or that age, we may do something different with it. We may go over here and try to find our redemption, or we may say, you know what, I don't really think that's true. I'm going to go down here, or I'm going to go find this or believe this. I believe that at some point in our lives, every single person realizes we are stuck. We need to be valued. We need to be bought out. We need to be brought out that we are stuck in where we are. Here's what's true for all of us. Everyone sins. Everyone suffers. And everyone needs a Savior. Everyone sins. And I know what some of you may be thinking. Some of you are thinking, well, I don't sin as much as they do. Right? We play the compare game all the time. I didn't say you've sinned as much as the next guy, but I'm here to tell you, you've sinned. You've blown it, and you've blown it royally. When I say sin, I'm not talking about breaking a rule in Sunday school. I'm talking about doing something that God says is contrary to what he wants and breaking his heart. That's what sin really is. It severs a relationship with God, and everyone sins. And as a result of my sin, your sin, we could go all the way back to Adam and Eve and their sin, everyone suffers. You suffer I suffer. Why? Because of sin. Sin brings about destruction. It wreaks havoc in our world. Why do you struggle in relationships? Because of sin. Why do you struggle in every area of life at some point in time? Because of sin. It breaks things down. I mean, when my wife and I are not getting along, at the core of it, there is sin. Most of the time, it's me. Just being honest. But there's something in which I've I've, I've, I've broken an agreement, and I've gone and said, you know what, I'm going to go do this, and I don't really care, and whatever. Sin. It breaks everything down. What does my sin do? It causes suffering. What does your sin do? It causes suffering. Everyone sins, and everyone suffers. You may have not suffered as much as the next guy, or flip it around. Maybe you've suffered more than all of us in the room. But everyone suffers. 
And everyone needs a Savior. Again, this world is broken because of sin. And sin, again, is the reason why our world is so messed up. And it's a sad reason for the following three things that I'm about to give you. And before I give them to you, I want to say this, that um, it is with a deep heart of compassion and brokenheartedness that I even talk about these three things because with all three of them, many of you, if not all of you in this room, are affected by them. And it brings hurt and pain for you to think about them, even if it's from your past. The first one's abuse. Abuse. There's all kinds of abuse. Now let me say this. Not everything bad that happens to us is abuse, but real, painful, soul-disturbing abuse happens. And when I say the word abuse, some of you in this room, you go to a very, very dark place. In all probability, there's some of you in this room that are in the midst of abuse right now. There's probably people in this room that there's abuse from your past. There's probably some people in this room there's abuse from your past that nobody except for you and your abuser knows about. God sees your pain. He sees your suffering. He hears your cries. Everyone sins. Everyone suffers. And everyone, abused people included, need a redeemer. You need someone to come along and say you're valued. You need someone to come along and say that should not have happened to you and I'm going to rescue you. You need someone to come along and buy you and rescue you and bring you out. Abused people need a redeemer. The next one is this thing of addiction. It's, it's impacted all of our lives, if not directly through an addiction that we've had personally. We've had close family members and we've had close friends that have experienced addiction that has destroyed their lives, their relationships, and potentially uh, their relationship with us, our relationship with them. There's all kinds of addiction. Uh, there's the very obvious ones, at least to all of us who would say, yeah, that's an addiction. Uh, drugs definitely can be a huge addiction problem. And again, many of you in this room have been, maybe are, some of you maybe are addicted right now to drugs and nobody even knows about it. But here's what I'm going to tell you, that if you have chosen to find that as your way of comfort and your way of hope and your way of fixing things, eventually, eventually, it's going to bring about the destruction that an addiction like that brings about. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And you've got to realize that redemption and comfort are not the same thing. And some of you are running to drugs because of comfort. You don't need comfort. You need redemption. You need to be brought out. Others that are very obvious that can be addictions that can destroy our lives. Alcohol. 
For some of you in this room, just the, the, that, that word just brings about great fear in you because you had a daddy that was an alcoholic and he didn't treat you well at all. And it just... Another one that's a huge, huge problem in our world today is pornography. It can and it will destroy your relationships. Let me repeat that. It can and it will destroy your relationships. And I will very boldly say that there are people in this room, and I'm not just looking at men when I say this. There are people in this room that are addicted to pornography. Nobody knows about it right now, but it's eventually going to bring about destruction in your life. It's not limited to those things, though. You can be addicted to all kinds of stuff. Shopping. Sounds kind of trite, doesn't it? Some of you right now are on the verge of financial ruin because you're addicted to shopping. Here's some more that may sound really trite. Sugar. Caffeine. Watch out. Video games. Ah, he's talking about them kids. Yep, them kids, them kids. There are some adults in this room. And you are addicted to video games. And if you think it's not affecting your marriage, you better think again. Y'all think I'm being silly right now, don't you? No, I'm being serious. And for those in the room that are affected by it, know that I'm serious. Addicted people need a redeemer. And then this last one just kind of covers it all, and that's a sordid trouble. It's a catch-all for all other evils and calamities, such as physical illness, natural disaster, which we're well aware of today, aren't we? I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm wondering what's happening right now in South Florida. I've got an aunt and uncle that live in the Tampa area, and ultimately, as a result of everything, they decided they couldn't leave, and I'm, I'm wondering what's going to happen to them. Accidents, the loss of a job, the list goes on and on of assorted troubles that come our way. I mean, you fill in the blank with your trouble. We're surrounded by it. It's impossible to live on earth and not be stung by sin and suffering. It's very sobering to think about the effect that our sin has caused on other people's lives. The suffering that other people have experienced because of things that we have done. Some of those things we know about, yep, that was obvious, I did that, that was wrong, I hurt them, it was painful, I've gone to them, I've tried to make things right. But then we also know there's some people that we've hurt, we don't even know we hurt, right? I mean, there's people right now that when they see us, they just, they kind of cringe, and, and we wonder why they cringe, and we don't, we don't honestly know what we've done, but we've said something, we've done something, we didn't do something, we didn't say something, and we've hurt them, we've hurt them. Our sin, our coming up short, has caused them to experience pain and suffering. People who have experienced assorted trouble need a deliverer. Everyone sins, everyone suffers, and everyone needs a Savior. But a lot of people are finding their Savior in all kinds of ways. But I want to be really clear, I want to be really explicit with this. I don't want you to miss this. Oh, man, everyone sins 
Everyone suffers. Everyone needs a Savior. And listen to me. His name is Jesus. The Redeemer that you need, the Redeemer that I need, no matter what it is, whether it's from an addiction, an abuse, an assorted trouble, whatever sin that it is, the only one that can rescue me, the only one that can place the value on me that I so so much desire, the only one that can bring me out of my sin, his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Everyone sins. Everyone suffers. Everyone needs a Savior. And his name is Jesus. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 7. It says that he, meaning God, is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom. Freedom. Freedom from what? The slavery that we're in, the stuckness that we're in, the sin that we're in. He purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. So when you hear God say, I see you, I know what you're suffering, I hear you, I feel your pain, it's not him coming along and just saying nice, pithy words of comfort. This is a God who says, you know what? I understand your pain because my son suffered it all for you. Do you understand all the slavery that they suffered for hundreds of years in Egypt? All of that pain and all of that suffering that Jesus literally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually felt every aspect of it when he was on the cross. Do you realize that every bit of pain that you suffer because of sin, every bit of pain Jesus felt and experienced and knows because of his time on the cross. And yet after experiencing all of my pain and all of your pain, all of my suffering and all of your suffering, Jesus says, you know what? I forgive you for everything that you've ever done wrong. He's the only one that can come along and say something like that. He's the only one that can come along and declare something like that because he is God in the flesh, having lived perfectly for us, having died horrifically on the cross, not staying dead, but coming up from the grave and living again. That's the reason why I say everybody suffers, everybody sins, and everybody needs a Savior, and his name is Jesus because Jesus is the only one that's ever pulled that off. Jesus is the only one that can say, I value you. And I value you more than you can even imagine. The reason why I value you is not because I like you. It's because I created you. I created you. I made you. And I know all of the havoc that sin has brought to your life. Why? Because I suffered. I suffered on the cross for all of that sin. All that sin that they did to make you suffer, I've experienced all the pain of that. All the suffering that you've caused because of your sin on somebody else, I've experienced that. And so he comes along and he declares redemption over you. And he declares redemption over me. And it comes down to this question. It's a question the people of Israel had to answer over and over again. Sometimes they would say yes. And sometimes they would say no. Sounds a lot like you and I. Sometimes we say yes and some ways, sometimes we say no. And here's the question that God's asking me and God's asking you and God asks his people then over and over again. Here it is. Will you trust me? I don't know about you, but when things are going well, and things are rocking along the way that I think that they ought to. My answer is normally yes. I mean, I'm a believer. Um, I'm a Christian. I've got faith. And most of the time, my answer is, yeah, God, I trust you. When things go wrong, most of the time, 
Most of the time, my answer is yes, as long as I can see this thing working out the way that it should. But the moment that things really start going sideways, and I don't know if it can happen or not, and I don't know that if it can get all worked out the way that I think it ought to get worked out, I start kind of balking on this a little bit. Like, I don't know. God, I don't, I don't know if you're going don't, to, I don't, I don't know what you're going to do here. God's saying, will you trust me even though you don't know how things are going to turn out? Will you trust me to be your redeemer even though my plan for redemption may not look like your plan for redemption? I mean, again, some of you that are maybe addicted right now, your plan may be, you know what? Today I was doing that, tomorrow I'm not. And then everything just rocks along and we're all good. Is that the way redemption normally works out in the life of someone that's addicted? Nope. It's not. It's not. There's a lot of painful, painful, painful stuff that comes between I'm doing this and I'm not doing it any longer. What the common thread is between everybody that gets from there to there is Jesus. But there's a lot of painful process in that. There's a lot of people that you've got to go through to make things right with. There's a lot of painful agonization of, uh, agonization of, 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 of no longer putting into yourself what has brought you comfort. So will you trust me, God says? Will you trust me? Will you trust me to deliver you from your financial ruin? Okay, well, does that mean like I don't have enough money today and I believe God will give me enough money tomorrow? Let's get a little more specific with that. The odds are, not every time, but most of the time, people that are in financial ruin are in financial ruin because they've made bad financial decisions over and over again. Agree with that? Most people that are in financial ruin are in financial ruin because they've made bad financial decisions over and over again. God says, okay, are you going to trust me with this financial decision? Are you going to trust me with this financial decision and this financial decision? Not. Trust me for your finances, and tomorrow I'll give you enough money. Will you trust me when it comes to, no, I shouldn't buy that. No, I don't need that. No, I can experience joy without having that. Will you trust me, God says? Will you trust me to deliver you from that dead-end job? Will you trust me to deliver you from your sin? Will you trust me to deliver you from an illness? Will you trust me to deliver you from an addiction? Will you trust me to deliver you in the way I desire for reasons of my own? Will you trust me to give you strength to endure? Will you trust me to see you in your suffering? And know that I care for you. And know that I will deliver you. This whole idea of redemption and forgiveness and rescue, it is true. But it's not the idea that today I want to be different, tomorrow I'm different, and nothing painful happens in the process. Let me tell you, These people in Exodus are going to be a testament to that. They had to suffer long and hard in the process. And I don't know what you're stuck in right now, but God's saying, will you trust me? And God says, if you'll trust me, I'll get you where you need to be. It may not look like the way you think it'll look. It may not be the destination that you had in mind, but it's going to be the best. And it's going to be where you need to be. Will you trust me with your marriage, God says. Will you trust me with your children, God says. Will you trust me with your church, God says, God says, will you trust me? Will you trust me? 
one huge, huge thing for you to consider in this question of will you trust me. It's on the back side of your communication card. And also it's going to come on the screen. It's a next step for you to consider today. Today my next step is to trust Jesus for my deliverance of. And there's a blank. What does that blank need to be filled with for you? What is it right now that you need to be delivered from? What is it right now that you are enslaved to, that you're caught up in, that you seemingly can't get out of, that you are stuck in, maybe suffering through, and you need and you only can see Jesus delivering you through it from it, and you need to trust him today. For some of you, you potentially wrote down the name of another individual maybe. But for a lot of you, you need to look to yourself and be honest and real and transparent with God and say, this is where I am. It's not where I need to be. Don't save me the way I think you need to save me, but God, I trust that you're good. Save me like you want to. Get me where you want me to get. Help me to go where you want me to go. Help me to be who you want me to be because I believe that you've got a good, good plan for me. Well, why, why should we trust him? I mean, like, why does God deserve that type of, here you go? I'll remind you of what we stated earlier. Can't say it enough, can't declare it enough, can't make it clear enough, can't shout it enough, can't cry it enough, can't make it plain enough. The God that we're talking about allowed his one and only son, Jesus to die in your place and to die in my place. He didn't stay dead, but he rose up from the grave and he wants to change your life. Will you allow him to do that today? We're going to pray. And after this prayer, we want to invite you to respond to Jesus today. Father, we bow before you this morning. We thank you for your word, which is great and wonderful and powerful, and I just want to pray that you'd bless it and bless those that have heard it. Father, we've got so much more to go in this story of Exodus, but we're here in the middle of our story today, and Father, there are some that need to respond to you. They are stuck in their sin. They're stuck in their suffering, um, and God, you need to bring them out, and it begins with them saying that they'll trust you. It begins with them saying, you know what, God, put me on the path you want me on because this path that I've been down is just headed to destruction. Father, I pray for anyone in this room that has never placed their faith and their trust in you to become their Lord and their Savior, that they would do that. They would be forever changed. I pray for those in this room that have placed their faith in you, but they've just decided to not trust you lately. They've decided to do their marriage their own way, their finances their own way. They've decided to find comfort their own way, and it's just not healthy, and it's going to bring about destruction. I pray that you change that today. Everyone sins. Everyone suffers. Everyone needs a Savior, and His name is Jesus, and it's in His name that we pray. Amen.